the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96FM. I think Montezuma's revenge got to Vic there in the end. Bit of a frog in the old throat. An entire family of small toads by the sound of it. Thanks, Vic. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Well, it happened. They came out and they met all day yesterday. Neffet having met the night before until God knows what time they didn't even send out for pizza they stayed so late uh, Neffet the previous night and then yesterday the cabinet met and thrashed it all out for three and a half hours or something they were at it for yesterday so we hear first from the acting chief medical officer Ronan Glynn who tells us we're in trouble lads we are now also seeing more outbreaks in households as well as clusters linked to social and sporting activities In other words, a lot of cases out there, we need to do something about it. Health Minister Stephen Donnelly. We are at a tipping point. Ireland's rate of growth in new cases over the last two weeks is the fourth highest in Europe. And then Michal Martin, the Taoiseach, takes to the podium. We are at a point where we need to recommit ourselves to key behaviours and to accept additional controls. Those controls, everyone now who can possibly do so is supposed to be working from home until now, for now until the 13th of September. All house visits limited to six people from no more than three different households. In other words, you can't really have that birthday party for your nine or ten year old this weekend, indoor or outdoor. It's only six people. 
the over 70s again advised limit their interactions to a very small network to not take public transport and to shop during their special designated hours. They're not quite being told to cocoon again, but they are. Let's face it, they are being told go in out of it and stay in out of it as much as you possibly can. All outdoor events and gatherings limited to 15 people, down from 200. So no more than 15 people at a match, which effectively means, because it's all the players and the players and officials, it effectively means that you can't go to see your 11-year-old's hurling match on Saturday. That's effectively what it means. Indoor events, with the exception of weddings and, uh, guess what, mass, reduced from 50 people to six. Six. Uh, People being advised then to use their judgment with regard to attending mass, but mass can continue. The restaurants and the cafes can stay open until half eleven, and then legislation will be introduced to enable the guards to immediately close down any pub or facility that's abusing public health measures. Now, they said they'd do it immediately. They can't actually do it until the middle of September when the doll comes back, but they forgot about that bit when they were telling us. And the reopening of pubs still... Uh, put back. Let's go to uh, Dr. Tomas Ryan. We've spoken before. He was on the RT Primetime show last night. Uh, he's uh, from Trinity College. Dr. Ryan, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You weren't overly impressed, I think, with what the government did yesterday. Well, I should start with saying that I, I fully support uh, whatever decisions uh, our public health uh, officials feel that they need to make in the short term, by that I mean week to week, day to day, they have uh, privileged access to all of the data and and they are operating with more information than most of us. Um, and it's clear that things are getting out of control. So, so measures are needed. I'm very annoyed that we're even in this position. I think a lot of this was very much preventable. I'm also extremely annoyed that the infrastructure for testing, tracing, um, and isolation, which is an extremely important support infrastructure to our public health doctors on the ground, is inadequate and has always been inadequate and is now getting even slower. Um, I'm also very concerned that there's a complete absence of strategy from the government uh, with the support of NFET in steering our way through this pandemic. But with respect to the specific restrictions that came in yesterday, my main concern would be that they may not be enough. They may not be enough to deal with this on their own. The only specific restriction that I'm very critical of, um, of the new measures that have been in, in, that have been brought in until mid-September, is uh, cocooning of older people or the apparent cocooning of older people, because I don't think that's a sensible way to manage to manage the pandemic in, in going forward. I tweeted myself last night, uh, Doctor Ryan, and I was thinking in terms of my mother and, and others like her who have since day one to be fair to them, did exactly what they were told when they were told. And now I'm, I'm cross for my mom because she seems to be getting punished for the sins of the few, for, for the sins of others. Yes, um, that's, what, that's what shielding is. It's a euphemism. Uh, when we were all under lockdown, we were all shielding in a sense. And when we say that we're going to deal with COVID-19 by shielding the old or the vulnerable, what we're saying is it's not lockdown for me, it's lockdown for you. And the important thing to remember about shielding is that it doesn't really work. I mean, in some instances, if older or more vulnerable people choose to shield, if they're able to and if they can afford to, 
um, it may help. It may help protect them as an, as an individual, of course, uh, but at great cost to their mental health and their well-being. However, what shielding does not do is it doesn't protect the elderly population and it doesn't protect the vulnerable population yeah. because it encourages more lax behavior in the middle-aged population and they're the main spreaders of the virus. And you can't prevent the virus from getting to the elderly anyway if it does spread in the community. And countries like South Korea, like Taiwan, who had comprehensive systems and who have controlled the virus much better than we have been doing in Europe, they don't rely on shielding. Because they know that you control the virus by controlling its spread in the population that is 20 to 50 years of age. So, yes, the elderly population of Ireland have been extraordinarily compliant. And also, I don't think we should be focusing too much on blaming the behavior of teenagers and youths, which I think gets too much attention. I know their behavior is not perfect, but the real spreaders of this virus are people aged 20 to 55 years of age. And if their behavior and their spread of the virus is not contained, then it will affect the entire population. Enfet, and there's a, a, a letter uh, that's sent, sent from Enfet to the government detailing what they wanted. They wanted more than this. What additionally would you like to have seen on this list? I think that the, the obvious one is, is proper travel quarantine. Um, and I think that not having proper travel restrictions, particularly for people coming in from from red zones, uh, such as the United States, makes a mockery of what people are suffering in Kildare, Leash and Offaly right now and possibly other counties going forward. Um, so absolutely how we manage our borders needs to be brought into a coherent and logical situation. I don't think we have enough communication on mask usage. Um, and I think we need to completely overhaul public communication regarding reporting symptoms and making it easier for people to report symptoms. I don't think we should be wasting time going through GPs. I think we need a website for reporting your symptoms and getting tested rapidly. Mm. And that entire infrastructure, I think, needs to be overhauled. In terms of the particular measures that we're talking about now, uh, NFED obviously wanted to go further. Um, I think they may be right. I'm concerned that the measures that are being put in place by government, um, being a subset of those recommendations, may not be enough to, to control what's going on at the moment. Um, so this is concerning, but um, the reality is that we need to overhaul, I think, everything. Um, I think that we need to really look at whether we can open schools over the entire country in the coming two weeks. Now, I was going to—I was hoping you would get to that because I was going to get to it. Looking at the Taoiseach and from the day one since he became Taoiseach, Michal Martin has his heart set as a former education minister. I guess he knows more about it than, than, than some of his colleagues. He has his heart set on getting the schools open and getting them fully open and getting them fully open on time. Looking at the present situation as it sits this morning, Dr. Ryan, is that possible? The crucial thing to remember about the schools is that they're only as safe as the community they're in. And this really means the local community and the county they're in. The school risk is obviously risk to teachers, which is the same as risk to any adult. The risk to students, which does exist. Most students will not need to go to the ICU if they get infected, but there may be uh, long-term side effects for some children and teenagers who get affected with COVID-19. But the real risk is what the school then does to the community because the school can serve as a multiplier of the virus. 
it can get in through one person and then spread throughout the school and then go back to everyone's families and their workplaces and social networks. So this is a real risk of keeping schools open if the R number is above zero. And our schools are not the most um, well-organized in Europe. Uh, they're not the cleanest, and they're pretty crowded by European standards. So this is a problem. Now, the problem is not the same throughout the country. And that's why my colleagues and I have been proposing that we have a green zone strategy. So we already have a relatively regionalized approach in Ireland. And it may make sense going forward to look at the COVID-19 numbers, not just in a county by county basis, because county borders are not perfect, as we've learned in the past few weeks, but on a town and county basis. And if you have a certain number, uh, or region, town and county basis, and if you have a certain number of cases per day, and it may be more reasonable to keep schools open than in other places. If you have an orange zone like like Kildare right now, Mm. I probably wouldn't advise opening schools. And if you've got an in-between situation, then you may do uh, a more blended model of limited time in the schools. So so technically, Thomas, what what you're saying is that we could be looking at an autumn and winter of schools opening here and there, schools having to close here and there, dependent on how the figures go. That's a recipe for, for disaster. Well, I think that that is a nuanced reality. And it's difficult to, to outline the different options when you're, when you're talking in limited time in, in broadcast media. But the, the reality is, can we open the schools in two weeks' time or in a week and a half's time safely? The answer is yes, but we may only have them open for a week or two then. So if you have the attitude that for hell or leather, we're going to open the schools um, on schedule. Yes, you can do that. And it's not going to be the end of the world if you then close them in a week or two if things get out of control. However, if you want the schools to open sustainably throughout the country, which is what we all want, we don't want a perfunctory school opening. opening. We, want, we want a proper and stable education system for our children. And I'm really biased on this because I want my children to go back to school. Mm. Um, it may be wiser to postpone that until we get things under control. And I'm not making any specific or concrete recommendations here precisely because there are so many things at mm. play. This would be um, your opinion as an immunologist, though. I'm not an immunologist. I'm a molecular biologist and a neuroscientist. Right. Um, but my, and I'm not a public health professional. I mean, I'm a scientist. I'm yeah. independent. Well, as a, a scientist, then this would be your view. My view, as looking at this as an, an independent observer, is that we clearly have an unstable situation in Ireland, um, and our numbers are steadily increasing, and we need to know whether the measures that we're imposing now are effective enough to get this under control. And if they're not effective enough, then I don't see how we can keep the schools open after we open them. And of course, opening the schools themselves will come at some cost to how how the virus is transmitting in the the population. So I think that we need to completely revise our, our thinking on this. Okay. Time, only time will tell us, they say. Dr. Tomas Ryan, uh, thank you as always. The Assistant Professor of Neuroscience, Biochemistry and Immunology at Trinity College in Dublin. Thank you, uh, Tomas. Let us go to Dan, because Dan, you're not a happy man this morning. Good morning to you. Hello, PJ. I'm, I tell you the truth, I'm rightly pissed off. And that's go the truth on. this morning. This is because of the, 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 the changes for the elderly, I think, is it? 
That's right. I look, I'm a pension of myself now, PJ, and I'm not cocooning this time. I've done it. Yeah. And so are the thousands of others in the country. Now, to, to be I, fair, I, I, you're I, not being asked to cocoon. You're being asked to use, if, there's, if, if I'm to quote them correctly, to use your discretion and your common sense in limiting well, your movements. Yeah, well, the elderly in this country, including myself, has, have been doing that. In all fairness, we have been doing that, and we've, we've been respecting it. You know, but as far as I'm concerned, it's the under-30s. Today should get a taste of it and keep them in. And another thing, you have the publicans dancing, screaming and roaring about their livelihoods, five or six thousand them in the country. You have must remember there's five million people in this country. Mm. I think, can't give a damn if they never again open. The thing and is, Dan, the thing is that there hasn't been any cluster traced back to the pubs that are open yet. But sure, the pubs are not open for the clusters, are they? No, but the ones that are open, the ones that are open as restaurants, there's been no right, cases tracked tra- take, tra- take, 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 take a look at the dancing that was on the counter up in Dublin. Yes, I, yes, yes. No, it's hard, you can't argue with that. Can, if that. If that were to continue, you'd, you'd be in right trouble in a fortnight. No, and another thing, PJ, you know, common sense tells me and tells you uh, the, the majority, 90% of the people in the country, why are the off-licenses still open? Can you answer that to me this morning? Why are their lifts still open where the house parties are going on? Where there's youths congregating in, in woods, in playgrounds, and they're drinking out maybe 20 or 30 in groups all over the city and all over the country. See, Dan, that's if you, not, if you close those, again, you feel punished for the sins of others today. If you close the off-licenses, the ones you'll punish are the people who've been behaving themselves just staying at Wait. home with their couple of cans Wait. in the fridge Wait. for Saturday that's, night. That's just my point. Punish those that can't get the drink to have the parties. Mm. I mean, literally, first I don't give two hoots about the drink, and I like my drink. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But as far as I'm concerned, we haven't got a police force in this country, and we haven't got a government in this country to rule the country properly yeah. to get rid of this second virus once and for all. I don't know what age you are, Dan. Uh, you can tell me if you want to. But but I'm nearly, I'm nearly the seventy mark now. Right, you're, you know? you're nearly the seventy mark, which means, as the fella said, you're in the second half. Right. Right. Is is there a feeling? Are you worried that you'll be spending a lot more time than you'd like to in the twilight of your life stuck Yes, inside? of course. I, I won't be able to see my grandkids either, PJ, you know. There's, there's lots of sides to this, like. I mean, so I was down in Galastown yesterday, packed up there, myself and myself. And you know something? The amount of elderly people that were walking along there, and you could, you could see it is written in their face. We put together out never walk before we were told to stay in again. That's it. You're correct about that. They are it was worried. Terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Yeah. You know? And by Jesus, I'm not going to stay in lockdown. They can put me into jail if they like, and that's the truth of it. If there's another, another lockdown for the elderly coming in. Okay. How many elderly have meals on wheels and all this thing coming to the door? Can't go to the shop. Can't do this. And, and people, I see still people going to the shops with no masks on them. Yes. And yes. that should be made compulsory. Put, well, put oh, it is, but the, there's, there's no law there yet. Now, I should choose. That's why I said we have got a government to govern. Yeah. All right, Dan. Always good to Thank talk you. to you. It's been a while. Thanks a million. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. He feels cross, does Dan, because he's approaching seventy, and he feels he's been told, Dan, would you go back inside now? You go back inside now, and you limit what you're doing, because we can't control what's happening elsewhere. That's how Dan feels this morning. 
Then a caller says, can PJ ever think positive? I'm one of the golden oldies. I don't mind cocooning. I understand the need for kids to get education. Whether they're in schools or out in the streets, thing will happen and we must learn to cope with that. Well, caller, if you like being inside all the time and you're okay with that, then that's a matter for you. Dan doesn't. Dan doesn't. And Dan doesn't feel it's fair that he's got to go and practically lock himself away again because of the sins of others. Paul says, I was out shopping yesterday. He's in Cove. I counted 16 people under the age of 40 not wearing masks. Ten of those were under the age of 40. I think, in my opinion, there's two statements there, but you were saying that a lot of people... Hi, PJ, we've some government. They're having a brain between their ears, putting the elderly back in their homes locked up. The elderly are not to blame for parties or for dancing. It's the youth that's causing it. 12 to 20 and 20 to 24 should have a curfew put on them. That'll bring down the virus. And if your son or daughter is out after curfew, then find them. Well, actually, to be fair now to that caller, Roland Glynn, <coughs> the acting chief medical officer, has said it isn't actually the, the under 24s are the problem. It's the over 30s, the 30 to 50s are the problem. The 30 to 50s seem to be the problem at the moment. 185715996. We'll have a look at the numbers locally in just a sec. The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 7159 On Corks 96 FM. The caller that I quoted there before the break rang back and said she's not happy with how I interpreted her comment. She said she's on the verge of. This is the call that says, I'm one of the golden oldies and I don't mind cocooning. I understand the need for kids to get an education. She said she's on the, when she called back, she's on the verge of depression from not being able to go out, but she knows we have to do what we're told. People can't be selfish. We have to get rid of this. The children are too long out of school and we have to be concerned about them. PJ is too negative about going back to school. Please let them go back because they'll be better off than being on the roads where the world is at the moment. Well, caller, I absolutely sympathize. I am on your side. I do not want you to have to do what you're now being forced to do. I think it's terrible the way that you are being forced to do what you're doing. I think it's terrible that your life is limited in its twilight years because of the actions of others. And I stand over that. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to Dan. It's not fair to my mother and her friends to be locking you guys up or trying to lock you up for the sins of others. As regards the schools, send them back when it's safe. But locking you up won't make it safe. That's the entire point. And that's what Dr. Ryan was saying. Mary has a lung problem. She's 68. What about when the children go back to school with grandparents minding them? What's the advice there? You can't do it. You can't do it. See? 1850-715-996 on, on Tomas Ryan. Get that scaremonger off the air. I'd rather see the virus do its thing, and this is Tomas Ryan, and move them on than the tsunami coming down the track of mental health issues, job losses, business has gone, absolute mess. Use your common sense and get back to normal. We tried... It didn't work. Looking at the figures locally, the, the, the hub gives us yesterday, this COVID-19 data hub, uh, yesterday the 190 cases, seven cases in ICU as of yesterday, 22 confirmed cases in the hospitals, which is a very small load 
but we don't want it to increase. And looking as I have been doing at the 14-day figures, I did some comparison this morning for Cork. Now, purely the figures for Cork and the 14-day figures available up to last Sunday, the 16th, the 14-day figure of cases was 26 cases up to the 16th of August. Go back to July, the 14-day figure up to the 16th of July was 15 cases. Go back to June, the 14-day figure up to the 16th of June was 14 cases. So there's an increase. But put it in context, and I've been saying all along, we're doing all right in Cork. We just need to make sure we keep doing all right. In the midst of lockdown, I looked back, the 16th of April, midst of lockdown, it was what? It was the week after Easter or something. On the 16th of April, the 14-day figure for Cork was what? 675. We do not want to go back there. We absolutely do not want to go back there. Some of the other highlights from it, and you can look into this hub down into your electoral area, your specific electoral area, practically into your ballot box. You can look. Fromoy has the biggest problem, or has of late the biggest problem. The confirmed number of cases in Fromoy is 119 out of a population in the Formoy urban area of 2,300. So they have 119 cases. Montanotti B, that electoral area, have a confirmed eight cases. And Farron Ferris C, that area, have a confirmed ten cases. And this is since it all started. Sinead Halpin is with the Social Democrats in Cork North Central. Sinead, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Looking down at the figures, and the point I made was comparing where we are now uh, in the 14-day figure compared to where we were in mid-lockdown. We're doing all right, but we need to make absolutely sure we don't go back to where we were. Oh, absolutely. And those figures that you're reading out there, I suppose, you know, they were the ones that have just been updated up to the 12th of August. So they're even actually a little bit out of date now. Um So it's really something that I think we need to be very careful to do is to keep those figures updated so that Mm. people can see and they're, you know, confident to know that things are calming down or they're picking up in certain areas, you know. Mm. That's Um, why I'm doing the 14-day figures day to day as soon as they become available. But they break mm -hmm. them down on the hub. They're a day or two behind the headline figures, the way they break them down on the hub. And they don't have the 14-day figure on the hub, which is a real pity, I think. You have to make it up yourself. You have to look into the graph and get it, yeah. You know, I mean, the Fermoy figure, especially per hundred thousand, is kind of a scary figure. Um, but you know, if you if if we were to to say that, well, actually, you know, they were all diagnosed, let's say, a full two weeks ago, so they could actually be put into the the recovered section. Um, then you know, people would probably be an awful lot more confident then to say, okay, well, if there's if there's been very few, then in the last fourteen days, then you know, I'm confident enough to know that you know local restrictions are working. Um, so that's where I think that that particular data hub can really have some very good usefulness there. Um, you actually mentioned Montanotti B, which is, which is where I am myself. Um, and if you look across the road, um, in one of the Mayfield constituencies, literally across the road, it's zero. Um, yeah. 100,000 effect- effectively. And this you know? is since day one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I do think that, you know, it's a fantastic thing that that data hub has been updated because it was really, it was pushed out there as a really good resource that we were all going to use. And then it kind of seemed to have been forgotten about for a couple of months. And so I really think that it's important that it is now we keep on top of it. We update it regularly. um, And, you know, 
the cases that are released for Cork are generally released on a county scale, which is, I think, 26 in the last 14 days. Mm. But I mean, you know, Cork is a huge county. You could be talking yeah. about banter, you could be talking well, about Middleton. Well, well bear, in, bear in mind, Sinead, it, it is a huge county and 26 cases in 14 days in mm-hmm. a, a county population of roughly, between city and county, half a million yeah, shows that we are still doing well here. Oh, yeah. I mean, our, our 14-day incidence is, um, you probably have the stats in front of you there, and I'm going off the top of my head, I think about 4.5 per 100,000. Per 100,000, in or around yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, you compare that to, to Leach and Offaly, and you can understand why there's a huge you difference compare there, it to the national figure. The national figure is now yeah. close to 23. Yeah, we're so doing, here we're in Cork, really we're doing well. a good job. We should we should keep continuing to tell ourselves we're doing a good job. Like mm-hmm. back back, go back to April when the when the two week figure in April for this the sixteenth of April the two week figure was six hundred and seventy five. And the majority of those as well were community transmissions. So I do think as well that our track and trace is working. But at the same time, I do know that there is question marks over whether or not it can now deal with the capacity that we're seeing. So we do very much need to make sure that they have, you know, the resources there to keep on top of that. So that, you know, we, we can confidently say this is due to a particular outbreak in a particular area. We've contacted everybody. They're all making the necessary precautions. Um, and we need resources to keep on doing that. And we need people to take it seriously when they get that phone call as well or when they get the little boop pop up on their app, you know. Do, do you think that the new restrictions announced yesterday, uh, do you think that our, our, our seniors have a right to feel a bit hard done by this morning? I do, and I think it's it's a difficult one because, you know, obviously there's, there's going to be a prioritisation, but, you know, my own mum is in her 80s and, like, you know, we, we've only just really gotten back to having, having proper visits with her, you know, and um, I know that, you know, schools, colleges, um, they're all going to be the, the priority. Um, but, I mean, especially the press conference, I thought it was very disjointed. I thought we got more out of the, the questions afterwards from the press than we did from the information that was presented. And this morning, there's been some more release of some some more kind of graphical representations and posters and that sort of thing, which makes an awful lot more sense. I think that you know it's 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 it can be um, you know when people don't feel like there's a sound basis and that pe- things are being done for a very particular reason, and you know it can then feel like it's an imposition rather than um, something that makes sense and something that is you know good to do for the entire community. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, look, we're supposed to be following the science and the doctors since day one, and we've always done it on this program. We've said what the doctors are telling us to do is what we should do. Politicians, with with due respect and great due respect to yourself, politicians will tell us effectively what they think their constituents want to hear. Yeah, and I mean that's that's where everybody is. You know, there's a little bit sometimes a bit of a confusion between what the National Public Health Emergency Team and the government are saying and doing because, you know, they do have very different rules. Yeah. Oh, there's a letter they, out there this morning which shows, and I don't have a copy of it to hand, but there's a letter out there that shows from Neffet that they actually wanted to go a lot further. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's where the balance has to be struck there, you know. Mm. We, have to, we have to see what they're, what they're recommending and it's up then to government to say whether or not that's a good idea or not. Okay. And sometimes they, you know, I do think that, you know, in retrospect, when we, when we do actually stand back and see how we did overall, that you know the speeding up of the um, of the phased um, you know opening up of the country may have may when we look at it be seen as something that was a bit hasty um, and yeah. that maybe that should we should did, did, did Leo move too soon. 
I think so. But again, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. you yeah, know. True. Um At the time, maybe everyone was thinking it's a sensible enough thing to do. Um, but I do think now, you know, we need to look at what's happening locally. We need to look at what's happening internationally. And we need to stick with the best practice and the best science. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure if we're quite there yet. Okay, leave it there. Sinead, thank you, Sinead Halpin, from the Social Democrats representative in Cork North Central. I think the older people are feeling... Most of them are feeling a little bit hard done by this morning. John, are you? Good morning. Good morning, my old friend. How are you, sir? I'm adequate, <laughs> and I'm 81. <laughs> and being adequate at 81 is, is, is a good complaint. How do you feel about the restrictions being imposed on you as of last night? I think it's a load of bullshit. It's nonsense. And I have never locked myself down. I spent three weeks in it. By the way, did you get my car from the Vatican? I did indeed. Thank you so much. I did indeed. You're more than welcome, my (laughs) dear friend. And by the way, travel by air with Ryanair is probably the safest mode of travel there is. And I'll tell you why. Because there's only one passenger for every three seats on each side of the aisle. Because there's no one buying the there's no one buying the tickets. But John, you won't be you won't be be locking yourself up for the next few weeks. I wouldn't be locking myself for one second. Yeah. And I can tell you one other thing, Mr. Cook. If they want to prosecute me, I would refer them to the 1789 Proclamation of Human Rights at the French Revolution. <laughs> and if I know you, John, you've got a quote ready. <laughs> oh, I have it. It's, it's, it's Article Number 2. Right. <laughs> I, I, I won't be tied. I, I actually pity any, any guard that tries to tell you off. I really do. Oh, no, no, no. I would be very kind I to I know the you would. I know you would. I know you would. But, but I can tell you something. I'd be brutal on the establishment. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, John. Thanks a million. That's John Lennon. 81 and adequate. And he ain't following any more of these new rules. Uh, John in Mayfield says, I have memories of my time in the industrial schools. Lockdown brings back very harsh memories. I don't think I can take another lockdown. They should have locked down properly first day. Stopped all the tourists and all the foreign workers coming in. I hear Russia has a vaccine already. Do you know why they got it out so fast? Money. The management of this Crisis has a lot to do with money. Kevin says, I'm living on the south side. There's house party gangs of around 14 walking around the streets. They're out in the woods drinking till four in the morning. It's a disgrace. Why can't the guards get them off the streets? Most people are doing the right thing. And you're looking at this this morning. Declan says, a lockdown. I'd prefer four weeks of full lockdown rather than this muck. Seems to be all new restrictions are designed just to get the schools open. Barbara on WhatsApp. Thank you, PJ. We agree with you and Dr. Ryan. It's the younger generation who are not abiding by the rules. Please don't victimise the over 70s. My mum is over 70 and has been abiding by the rules from the start. She feels very let down now that the over 70s are being punished for the stupidity of the younger generation. But Tony says, I don't think that the elderly are being punished. I believe the government are protecting the elderly as they did the first time. But I also realised there was a lot of pressure put on them the first time round. Hence, not telling them, rather advising them. I understand this is not what they want to hear, and a lot of them are not happy, but we do have to protect them. 1850-715-996. Loads of comments coming in. I need to clear my throat, take a break. Back in a sec. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. 
For 20 minutes of the best music mix and everything Cork on Cork's 96 FM. All last week we were dishing out the great news about the Cork's 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. That's incredible news, Kim. Oh, fantastic. Wonderful news. Oh my God, that's unreal. And this week I keep an eye on all things Cork. I've got news from the world of entertainment and music. Check out our daily Facebook question. And I've got Cork's best music mix online, on your smart speaker and on air. Ken Tobin. Weekdays from midday. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. I want to go back to schools in just a second, but you know the way they've said one of the things that they want people to do now over the age of 70 is shop during designated hours. Now, you will see many of the shops have done that. They've designated hours for the elderly or for the medically vulnerable. Bill is just off the phone from his local Tesco. Their time for this is 7 to 9 a.m. Like, sorry now, but if you're 73 or 4 or 9 or 81 or 2 or 6, and fair play to you for still able to get up to the shop, what the hell... Why should you have to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning to go to the shop in the twilight of your years? 185715996. I stand over it. I just think it's very hard on the elderly people who have done their absolute best. But yesterday, Aidan was listening to our conversation about schools where we found out that you actually can take your child out of school and start homeschooling them. You have the right to do that. You've got to register with Tusla that you've done it. A little bit of paperwork to be done. It takes a while, but you can actually do it. And we spoke to Rachel, who's thinking of doing it. Hasn't quite made her mind up just yet. Aidan, your your daughter, how old is she? She's in her five. Her mother passed away last year. She's a six, so I had to look after my daughter. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, I was on to there a couple of years ago. Remember, my ex took my daughter to Romania a couple of years ago and went off with her. I do, I do, I do. That's her, so she's back home with us now since last year. Like, so. Okay. Uh, uh, so I, I moved back to talk with my parents and uh, they're, I mean, they're, they're 73 uh, and they're, they're, my mum's chest is the greatest, like, you know, asthma and bad and stuff. And, uh, so it's just a thing. I'm working on site, so I have to be careful as it is and they're doing all that stuff. I know the fact I had to bring her into school and they, they collect her up and do all the stuff with her. Yeah. So I just don't know what to do, like, you know? Yeah. Do yeah. I, You're not sure. She's supposed to go back when, Aidan? Uh, next 28th. There's a meeting tonight in the school tonight at 7 o'clock, so at least I get some clarity of what's going on. There's a meeting in the school at 7 o'clock tonight, but only 50, only six people can go. Yeah, that's a lot of That's a bit daft, isn't it? Yeah. It is crazy, it's crazy. So I like I just up in the air and I just listen, I just get bits on the radio so like I want to ring and find out and, like, and I just as you said there about the homeschooling so like I won't be able to homeschool my daughter like you know yeah you know even so, even I mean, if you wanted to you can't I couldn't like I mean I'd have to stop working and doing that and I, I just it's just not my thing as teacher like you know I just couldn't do it like so yeah. I'm uh, I, I mean, I would say there's a what to do I don't know should I just I'll the time keep her own do I get in trouble then to keep her own in school. Yeah. Which if I do, I do. Like it's nothing I can do, but yeah. your parents are kind of part of like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how how do you feel this is being handled for parents like you? Terrible, 
terrible. Because I, I mean, we, I just have no. I like, I have no idea what to do. I, I just get texts about this and that, and no one's actually coming up with a solid plan. Like you know, it's just all here saying this and that. I suppose I, I know better tonight. I just don't know anything yet. Like you know. Worrying, ti- worrying time, and and I suppose as well you've got to be very careful of of your mom. Well, that's the whole thing. You see, it's like which my, my parents when they go to school and catch on stuff. I can't have my parents there to school, like you know. I mean, they're they're fit. My dad is grand. My mom is the biggest. I worry about her chest. That as you know, this hits the chest bad. Like so, I just worry much. I know they said the kids can't pick things up, but like. It seems to be getting younger and younger. Well, like, well you know, so. generally speaking, and we shouldn't generalise, but for the sake of it, we will. Generally speaking, the children don't get sick, but they can pass it on very easily. Yeah, Carrie, yeah. and like, I mean, that's, you know, kids, trying to keep kids separate in the schools is going to be hard. Like, I mean, kids are kids. They like to play and they like yeah. to be touchy-feely, like, you know? There, there's another thing about kids, and I don't know how, how sociable your, your daughter is or how many friends she has, but what if you have a kid who only has one or two friends and, and they don't socialise well? That's A lot of kids are shy. They, they don't form friendships quickly. And, and what happens if these little pod ideas, which aren't bad in themselves, five or six kids who spend the whole day together every day... Why? What if your kid's only friend is in a different pod? How are they going yeah. to deal with that? that, that yeah, that's going to be very upsetting for the child, and it's, it, it is going to mess with our heads, like you know. Yeah. But Abby, no, Abby, Abby, we get our anyone. She's funny. good for her. She's great. Thank God, like you know. All right. Well, look, Aidan, I wish you well. The best to you, and the best to, to to Abby, and the best to to your mom as well. And, and thanks for that. Look, these people are fraught with worry over the next few weeks. Uh, Anya says, hi PJ, I'm listening to you saying that grandparents shouldn't mind their school-going grandchildren, and I agree, but what about the medically vulnerable like myself who'll be sending our children back to school? We can't avoid this or shut ourselves away unless test test and trace is running properly and we'll never get back to any kind of normal. Eddie agrees with John Lennon. Uh, My dad's 77, his emphysema doesn't know how long more he'll live and he's not wasting it stuck at home. It's a disgrace. Our government are an embarrassment at this stage. Again, Nicola agreeing with John. He's dead right. My mom said she'll take to the streets and protest. She's 72. Maeve is 72 and said her brain didn't die just because she is 72. She's going to town on the bus today. Loads of parking spaces are gone and she can't afford the multi-storey. She was wearing masks and gloves long before they were mandatory. She feels totally victimised. Was supposed to go to her twin son's birthday party on Sunday. Now her poor daughter-in-law has split them all up throughout the day. Very upset. They'll be at that party out in the garden for a few hours. How many families will be at a wedding for a whole day? She voted Fianna Fáil, but never again. Tony's in the vulnerable category. I walk 50 miles a week, he says. I'm as fit as a fiddle. I'm not obeying any of this. I have a clear medical and I intend to stay that way. Walking keeps me fit and I'm looking after my psychological help. But Declan says, what's happening to people? They think the virus is just going to get fed up and go away or something. Dan isn't being asked to cocoon. I hope Dan stays well. Maybe we need to start broadcasting scenes from Italy earlier this year again. No, Declan. No, we don't. No, we absolutely don't. But we need to balance things. And the, I, I stand over this and let any politician come on and take me on about it. I think the elderly people are getting a hard time in this list of, of recommendations. The people who did what they were told from day one. Let's look at something that won't do what it's told. It's coming our way on top of pandemics. 
and everything else, we now have a flipping storm. Storm Ellen is about to, if we're to listen to the meteorologists, possibly wreak havoc on it. I see one tweet this morning where it could be the worst storm to hit this coast since Hurricane Charlie in 1981. I remember Hurricane Charlie. Cahal Nolan is our go-to man on matters weather-wise up at UCC. Cahal, is she coming and is she as angry as she sounds? Good morning. Very good morning, PJ. Well, certainly she is a coming and she is pretty angry. And indeed, we can expect to see some really quite significant weather conditions across the county and city later on through the very late hours of and into the early hours of tomorrow morning in particular. At that stage, it's probably when we'll see the strongest winds across Cork. And with that, we expect to see those weather warnings probably upgraded to a status red warning from many parts of the county later on through this afternoon. Really? And we, we probably will. We probably will. Given the weather models at the moment, and looking at the charts, analysing them and the wind speed that we're expected to see, especially given that it's still late summer. And of course, at this particular time of the year, we have extra foliage on the trees. And after the heavy rain that we've had recently, we have soft ground as well. So given the potential impacts that we could have and the fact that we're looking at wind speeds in coastal areas at least possibly reaching in excess of 160 kilometres per hour, it leads us to believe that there very well could be a status red warning by this afternoon. Now people are mentioning, I see tweets mentioning Hurricane Charlie. A lot of my listeners would not remember Hurricane Charlie, but we would remember Ophelia. So compare this to Ophelia. I suppose if we're looking to compare the two systems, they actually have a lot of similarities in the sense that they both originated from tropical origins. They're both coming from a similar direction, reaching Ireland from a southerly direction from the Bay of Biscay, essentially. Uh, but also for, to compare it in terms of the wind speeds that were observed during Ophelia, so we saw wind approaching around about 158 km per hour. The projected wind speed from this particular system, if anything, could be even slightly stronger than those experienced during Storm Ophelia. And that really just puts it into perspective, I suppose, for the listeners this morning as to how potentially serious this storm is. Advice? Get in, stay in? The advice will be to certainly stay in during the strongest part of the storm, which is expected to be between, let's say, 11pm tonight and probably 7am tomorrow morning. Is, is it a small mercy? I mean, Ophelia struck and was trying to get in this window at 10 o'clock in the morning. The window here behind me was determined to try and blow it in. Is it, is it a small mercy that Ellen will hit us probably in the small hours of the morning? It certainly is, yes. Considering the fact that the majority of people will be inside at that stage anyway, given the time of day that it's expected to strike, it, it probably is a blessing in disguise, really, that it is coming at such an early hour of the morning. Now, in saying that, it still will bring significant damage. And for those people who are expected to be out and about at that particular time, the advice would be to stay indoors during those particular hours if possible. All right. Well, Cahill, thank you very much. That's Cahill Nolan. Uh, He's the uh, PhD fellow in climate change and also participates in Ireland's Weather Channel. He's our go-to weatherman at UCC. We're in for a rough one, lads. She's a coming. She's an angry mama. And she's going to batter the bejesus out of us between about 11 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning. She could even be as strong as, if not stronger than Ophelia, coming from a different direction. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM.
1850-715-996 is the number to call us. The text of the WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email for the show, opinion at 96fm.ie. We're on Twitter at OpinionLine96. Our hashtag is OL96. If you want to get to us through the Facebook page, it's the Corks 96 FM Facebook page. Pop us a message there and mark it for the attention of the Opinion Line and somebody will get it to us and we will get back to you. Uh, Paul was on from Fermoy uh, asking that I remind people that the population of Fermoy is over 6,500 and not 2,500 as I said with the virus figures. Just And you know what Paul, it's, it is worth pointing that out again. This was the Fermoy Urban Electoral District. So just one district of Fermoy was what I was quoting and their population there is 2,300. That was, but happy, very happy to clarify that. Just on the subject of the new restrictions, the Mount Cara supporters have been on to say that uh, due to new COVID-19 guidelines allowing a maximum of 15 people attending an outside gathering, they are postponing the vigils now outside Mount Cara in the need to stay safe and protect ourselves and protect one another's. 1850-715-996. We have lots and lots to come back to about the restrictions, particularly people who think the sporting restrictions are illogical. The idea that you can't now go to watch your son or daughter's underage hurling match on Saturday morning, or why it is that we can't put 200 people into Parky Cueve to watch a county championship match. I don't understand that. The scientists say there's a reason. I don't get it. But I think people are not particularly... Uh, happy about it all the same. 1850-715-996. I spoke uh, a year or so ago, or coming up on a year or so ago, uh, to Sinead O'Leary. Uh, you'd remember Sinead. Uh, she was stabbed uh, more than 20 times by Peter Whelan on an attack, in, or during an attack in which her best friend, Nicholas Sweeney, was, was murdered. And Peter Whelan is due to have a parole hearing Soon, he was jailed for life. But he's due to have a parole hearing very soon. And when Sinead was in studio with me, she was particularly concerned about a piece of legislation that was sitting on the desk of the Minister for Justice, not enacted. It still isn't enacted. It's a piece of legislation that would prevent Peter Whelan from getting parole. Sinead joins me by phone. Sinead, good morning to you. There was a, a special report in the newspapers in the last few days. Helen McEntee is the new Minister for Justice. The piece of legislation remains dormant. Good morning. Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. So obviously we're very stressed out about that. It's very traumatic that, that nothing has moved there in a year. With Rem- remind to people again what that piece of legislation, the difference it would make for your life. Well, for me, it would give me a few extra years of peace and security from, um, you know, we're looking at a monster who attempted to kill me and has yet had no remorse for that crime and has constantly be, been fighting to overturn his sentencing over, um, since, since day one, really. And he's managed to get quite far with that um, in recent years. Um, Minister Flanagan had signed off on unconstitutional um, parole hearing in the past that led to day releases which undermined the sentencing of 
Judge Carney. Yeah. And you never got an explanation from Minister Flanagan as to why he did that? No, none at all. And I mean, it's quite shocking because this, this ruling to begin with in 2002 was groundbreaking because it was the first time consecutive sentencing was used and it was yeah. done so because Judge Carney believed Whelan to be such a danger to society yeah. that it, that was imposed, whereas Minister Flanagan essentially overturned this. Yeah. Again, Judge to remind Carney people, Sinead, passed away. again, to remind people, uh, Judge Carney, the late Judge Carney, uh, he jailed Whelan for life for Nicholas murder and also he consecutively jailed him for your attempted murder. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Um, so but, he would have been to serve 15 years first for attempted murder or beginning... The life uh, sentence. The life sentence. I mean, but you even have to look. I mean, the facts itself are, are so. They're quite frightening, this. I mean, especially with free legal aid, this. Even if we look back to 2010, Peter Whelan would have been serving the sentence for me at that time and had been going to the European courts to try and overturn the ruling for the murder of Nicola, which he hadn't even began to serve that sentence. So this is something that he is constantly being fight for, backed by the state, funded by the state, yeah. to do so. Whereas there's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not funded by the state for free legal aid to fight this, to fight for my safety. You know, there's nothing for me as a victim from the state. Yeah. The, the new legislation would give you certain rights to oppose his his parole. You don't have them. No, I mean, I'd be able to oppose in person. I mean, it's something at the moment that obviously I'm preparing for because it could happen this year, this parole hearing. But, I mean, the statements that Flanagan released last year would lead us to believe that this new parole act would apply retrospectively to Whelan and that he wouldn't, in fact, see this parole board for a further five years. But we're not seeing any concrete information of that at the moment that we're not being given that. You spoke to me at some length here in studio last year, uh, Sinead, and and you told me about moving away and and building a new life for yourself overseas and then coming back and hoping against hope that you could continue to rebuild your life Mm -hmm. here. You afraid now? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm because especially because I've lost so much faith in the justice system here. It, it, my fears aren't, I mean, above all, my fears are of, of this very dangerous criminal being released and what that means for me. But, I mean, now it's I'm not being protected at all by the state. I'm not considered. I mean, I was a state witness and no consideration is being given for me. There's no, you know, there's no nothing concrete to say that this parole hearing will not happen this year. I mean, that would give me peace of mind. For the last year, I'm... And remind people again, if this particular piece of legislation were to be enacted, that hearing could not happen. It it could not happen until 12 years into his life sentence. At the moment, it is seven, and he's coming up to the seven. So it will be a five-year reprieve for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sitting there, and it's written, and it's signed, but it's not been enacted. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's... it's unbelievable, really. We've seen how quickly le- legislation can be passed because of this pandemic. There's really no excuse at this stage, especially, you know, I had high hopes now that we have a new Minister for Justice to kind of right the wrongs of the predecessor and actually give us as victims a voice 
now yeah. and I mean to fulfill the role of Minister of Justice, the operative word being justice. We yeah. deserve justice here. Yeah. You know, and that's that's not happening. And you have, know have you written to Minister McEntee? Yes. Yeah, I have. I have. I've I've I put my letter through this week, so you know, we'll see. Do I hear back? I mean I didn't hear back personally from Minister Flanagan that time, so you know. I mean, you know, she has an opportunity now to to really put a step in the right direction towards rebalancing the scales of justice. I mean, at the moment, they're heavily on the side of the perpetrator. It it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't, you know. Yeah. If you had an opportunity to meet and speak with her, what would you say? Well, that, that, you know, this is an opportunity now to, to really make a change that's needed in this country to give us as victims a voice, some support, some acknowledgement that we exist and we suffer on a daily basis. Are you in touch with the Sweeney's? I am, yeah. And how were they? Well, this is very hard. I mean, they're in complete limbo. It's very difficult. It's difficult, again, having this so public, but there's there's no choice. There's, There's absolutely, there's no peace for them whatsoever. There's There's no justice for their daughter. She was a young, beautiful girl in her 20s who had so much ahead of her and all that was taken from her and there's, there's no justice for her at the moment. It's, it's shocking. And she was your best friend and you were left guard for life and no justice yeah, for I mean, you. Yeah, I mean, I'm exactly. I mean, I'm physically, physically I have life-changing injuries, but even more so it, it's, it's the mental impact of, of this on me and the mental impact on the Sweeney's which has been constant because of the appealing and the lack of remorse from Whelan and the manner in which the lengths he has gone to and actually got somewhere with the government but we don't have that same outlet yeah. we aren't provided the free legal aid which he is in order to get somewhere with this you know we're just discounted feels all it. wrong doesn't it Jeanette? it really does I mean it, you know it's Especially when you look at, it wasn't the Sweeney's and I who brought this forward a year ago. This was a prime time investigation that was exposing unconstitutional behaviour. I spoke to Barry Cummins about that at the time, yeah. He could could find no logical reason why these visits had been granted. Yeah, and we have not been given any logical reason as to why. And furthermore, Peter Whelan was, I was given notice in February, March, just before the pandemic, that he would be out again. But that obviously didn't happen because of the lockdown. So that was still happening, that unconstitutional behaviour. It's it's madness. I sincerely hope that you get to talk to to Helen McEntee and and that you can talk to some some sense into the system eventually. Sinead, always always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you very much. Stay well. Stay well and look after yourself. That's Sinead O'Leary. I'll talk to Maria Dempsey about her daughter's case next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie Question number 10. Who painted the water lilies? Oh my God. Uh, money. For 2,000 euro, who painted the water lilies? Oh my God. <laughs> you said Monet. Oh, Monet. You have just won two grand. Yeah, Catch, 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 catch. Money, You've done oh, it! Oh, unreal! Thank you.
thank you so much. Well done. Oh, yeah. 2,000 euros. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much. Oh, my God, I'm shaking. Another winner. There you go. Go, go, go. The two grand minute. Listen to play. At 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. We spoke to Sinead about her horrific ordeal at the hands of uh, Peter Whelan, uh, where her best friend was stabbed to death and she was left. Scarred for life mentally and physically. Alicia Bro was also stabbed to death just before her 21st birthday. She was trying to protect her friend's daughter from the child's father. And, and she died at his hands. Uh, and he was up for parole on the seventh anniversary of the murders. Just as her mom was beginning to kind of put her life together again and he's up for parole again this year Maria Dempsey we've talked before good morning morning he's up again this year uh, I'm, I'm not altogether sure this is why it's all so confusing um, the last one was in 2017 and the outcome was that he would have one in three years so I don't know if that's three years from 17 or three years from when we had the letter in 2018 mm. We should remind people again what John Geary did. He killed four people that day. He killed Alicia, he killed her friend Sarah, he killed baby Amy, and he killed three-year-old Reese. He yeah. used about five weapons, including yeah. a screwdriver. This happened in November 2010. He then changed his clothes and went to Kilkey, checked into a guest house, and had a drink at the bar. Yeah. His life sentences are concurrent. Now, he'll effectively only serve one life sentence yeah. if he even serves that and he could well be up for parole again this year if this legislation that's sitting on Helen McEntee's desk were to be put into practice he'd have to stay there for another few years definitely 2022 was when I was expecting to get the new letter and here we are 2020 still don't know where we are and um, you know Considering that the reason that they do concurrent life sentences is because after one multiple murder, three murders, again, two children and one female, um, it was decided that a prisoner couldn't serve three life sentences because they only have one life. But the irony is that the average life sentence is 19 years. So when you have multiple murders, you know, you left, I think, 19 years, will it be 40 years? We we haven't any idea at all. And it's just, we're just left in this space of unaware. We don't know. And it is always there. And I think that the way the system is, it's extremely unfair. It's unfair to us. And really, you know, it's unfair that... Um, Somebody who's murdered four people thinks that it's seven years. Well, they probably know they're not going to get out on parole, but, you know, you've got a bit of a light at seven years, and then a couple of years later, and a couple of years later. How many years is this going to go, to go on for? You know, how many years are we 
going to be getting these letters and then explaining why we don't think the time is right yet for him to be coming out. I mean, seven years. It's very hard to live with the uncertainty, isn't it? That's what Sinead was saying. It is. It's just unreal. You know, if they said, okay, you've committed four murders, you will be doing 20 years before you get parole. We'd all know. They'd know. We would know. And we can gain some life. You know, we too only have one life. This 10-year anniversary, I'm 52 this week, that'll be a fifth of my life having this over my own head, waiting three years for the trial to happen, a tiny bit of peace while we mourn and come to terms with the severity of what happened to all four of the victims. Do, do, you, you, know? do you feel that until such time as this legislation, which we stress again to listeners, is sitting there, written... Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that until such time as it's actually passed into law, you don't have justice for Alicia? No, we, there, I really, really believe that we don't have justice now. Well, there, there are actually, I really believe there is no real justice. Yeah. Not in this state. Not in this. Not in this. Um, in the way that it's it is run and organised, there is there's no peace. There's no justice. Justice. His justice is he's in prison and he doesn't know when he's coming out. But for us, there, there, there is no justice. Alicia's not coming back. You know, Amy now, she was she would be 10 years old. Reese would be 13 years old. Their family have not seen any of their days. None of their days. Now, you know, <laughs> Alicia's would have been 21. You know, another 10 years, she's 31 now. Yeah. You know, she'd, been, no she'd been getting to that point in her life, Maria. Down, where, where her, where, yeah, but where her, <clears throat> where her mom is one of her best friends. You know, all yeah. daughters get a bit rebellious in their early 20s and mid 20s, whatever. But by the time they get into their 30s, most daughters and their moms are best mates. Yeah. You've been robbed of that. Yeah, and, and we always were. Me and Alicia, you know, we've, we've always had an incredible relationship. And, um, you know, I miss that. I, m- I miss my bestest friend ever. I, I miss her so, so much. It's, it's unreal, you know. Nobody can ever replace that. And yeah. different, I've got six other children and the relationships are always different. And, you know, and we have wonderful lives as well together. Yeah. But, like, you know, I was only 21 when I had her. I grew up with her. She helped me grow up. Um, you know, those... I think I read there about Catherine Chadwick and she says she's had two lives already. Yeah. It is exactly like that. It's like none of the days before this, they they just distant memories and it's just like unreal and, you know, and it hurts that, you know, that you can't talk about all the great days that you had because people feel uncomfortable. I know. I guess the the question that that might pop into the mind of of a listener hearing you speak this morning that you know John Geary destroyed your life yeah as well as taking the life of your beloved daughter and yeah. all those around her yeah 
And what, will, will, will this legislation, were it to be passed, will it fix anything? It won't fix anything, but what it will allow is... So if we take, for instance, for us, it happened 2010, 2013, he was jailed, and we did the um, coroner's court, that we had four years of peace, but that four years was just coming to terms with what had happened. The, you know, you, you can't imagine what it's like to hear that somebody... Uh, stabbed your daughter in the head and stabbed her 14 times and left a broken knife in her. And, and not just not just this, that she was sat up against the wall. She bled out and that... And he went top, to the pub. Her, her top was over her head. It wasn't a sexual thing. That was just from the fight that she'd had with him. The, 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 her top had ridden up and he left her like that. And, like, it's just these are the things that stick in your head. And there isn't any justice. You know, even if they brought back hanging, it's never going to take away that memory. It's never going to take it away. What would help is us having a nice period of time to get over the grief, to find our feet, and not have him brought back into our lives. And the Justice Department or the parole board will say, you don't have to receive these letters. You can leave it for them. But, like, that's, that's, that's really, really difficult because what do you think? You think, well, if I'm not speaking to the board, do they think that I'm forgiving him? So that you are dragged into this. You do need to have your say and really writing it down. Can you imagine trying to write down and be coherent? The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both, 
in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How you feel and the impact that it has had upon your life. In our case, 10 years, post 10 years. You know, the the times that we've sat with our little children, one was three and the other was four and a half, to say, you know, they were scared that he would escape jail and come and kill us. And we had to be the ones to comfort and to give them back security. That, that's, that's additional trauma. It is. On they, you and them. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just an absolutely... <laughs> It's a living nightmare. Maria, you mentioned that you had your 52nd birthday there recently. And, and well, my, it's this weekend. Well, this weekend. Well, my my felicitations to you, as they say, but, but birthdays must be very hard. I just feel like, you know, I'm 52, from 40 to 52, and any woman's life is quite difficult. <laughs> but, like, I look at myself these days and I think, all I see in my eyes is sadness i'm not sad all the time i have we do have joy in our lives we do laugh and we do have a life but as i would say my natural beauty it's gone (laughs) it's going it's all i see on my face is pain and i hate it and he's taken that he's taken that away and it's taken away so much innocence so much innocence it's like just watching the tally seen violence it's like you know it doesn't go over the head it's just like oh I just turn it off just can't watch that you know, it's I know. Maria thank you as always we've spoken a few times and thank you as always yeah you're welcome thank all the best to everybody who's having to face this in uncertainty Thank you very much. That's Maria Dempsey, 1850-715-996. Finn says, life is life. So this scrote killed numerous lives and gets concurrent sentences. Multiple murders deserve the death sentence. There's no grey area, no luxuries. I can't imagine a letter like that landing on the mat. Another caller says, though, with all due respect to Sinead and what has happened to her, could it not be the case that the guy has served his time for, for what he did? Is it the fact that the minister is going, well, he served his time for what he did to you. His crime against somebody else is up to her family to pursue. Is she flogging a dead horse? This caller believes anyway life should be life. And that wishes this loophole didn't exist. Well, the Sweeney's are pursuing it, caller, but in their own quiet way. But Sinead speaks out. They they don't generally. 1850 Tom says he can never understand why it, with a multiple murder like this the sentences are consecutive oh Tom, Tom, we've been down that route we've been down that route four murders, four life sentences I'm sorry, there should be no argument you go in there and you do you'll, you'll be carried out of it in a box M. O'Kelly who is RTE's education correspondent has just tweeted an interesting tweet about, you heard that case up the country 
where a, a student in County Mayo who was homeschooled from his for his leaving cert, I believe his name is Elijah Burke, he has won his High Court challenge to being excluded from the calculated grade process. But the court has ruled that an independent teacher should be appointed to give him his marks in place of his mother who had taught him. It's been going on for a while. That case has ended and he has won his case. 1857-15996. The sports restrictions announced yesterday evening are causing ructions. Get to them next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Irish country legends, the three amigos, return to the Opera House for a show that will take place on Monday 24th January 2021. For further ticket details and info on other upcoming shows, check out CorkOperaHouse.ie Access all areas. The Kino on Washington Street has reopened with a healthy schedule of Irish acts over the remainder of the summer. The Kino's cafe is also open and you can check out shows coming up at the venue by logging on to KinoCork.com Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Now, for months, we didn't have matches. Not a hurley or a ball or a golf club was swung in anger, in any way, shape or form, other than look against the back wall of your house and keep practising if you're a bit of a hurler or a footballer. But then sport was allowed to start again and we had limited crowds. And up to last weekend, we had allowance for 200 people at a match. Now that included everybody on the pitch, which was, what, 30 players, mentors, officials and all of that. So a very small crowd of maybe 150 um, in a place like Parky Ring, for example, that holds ten or 12,000, or Parky Cueve that holds 45,000, you are still limited to 200. Last night's restrictions now mean that all outdoor events and gatherings are limited to 15 people, which effectively means that matches, no one can go to a match. Sporting events, they also say, must take place behind closed doors. There'll be a strict avoidance of social gathering before and after matches. Training sessions should also follow the rule of six people indoors and 15 outdoors. Now, the GAA have asked to meet Neffet and to meet the Chief Medical Officer to, to show them why this is logical. They insist that it is. I don't know the answer to that question, whether it is or not. The scientists seem to believe that it is. Michelle Gould from St Vincent's Camogie Club. Michelle, how is this going down with, with, with the club? Good morning. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. Um, I tell you, like, we were going to have a meeting later on, but to be honest, just personally, like, I'm just so annoyed. I'm just so annoyed. I just think that it's just so inconsistent. Um, I mean, granted, going back there at the very, very beginning, we didn't 
like we were all put in lockdown we couldn't play games couldn't play matches we didn't like it but we could understand it but now this time it just makes absolutely no sense you know it just it really doesn't make any sense um I, I, I just hope that the GA can kind of can filter through it because um, as it stands, like I went to a match last night and glorious night for it, perfect conditions, a great match. And it was like the last supper. People were literally standing around kind of saying, oh God, this is the last time now this is going to happen. And, and how many people were at that match, Michelle? There, there actually wasn't even the full quota, to be honest. Um, and I tell you, it was because there were two kind of kind of country teams coming up to the city to play a match. And where did they and play it? They played in Castle Road. It was a camogie match. Right. So a couple of hundred people Not didn't, even, sure. didn't nope. even look half busy. No, but you see, at least there were still supporters. Like, that was an exception because people were travelling far distances um, and, and they just couldn't get probably time off work to get up there on time. But, like, we're talking about people here now. I, might, I have two concerns. One, like, what about the people who would be fringe players or people now who think, oh, if I'm not on the first 24, I can't even stand inside the venue. Like, how demoralising is that? You're up there training as much as everybody else. And I just think at a time when we need to keep people playing sport, they're probably going to give up, you know? Um, and likewise, with parents, they, they probably have missed a match with their child. And yeah. now all of a sudden, they have to, they're still driving people to matches because, let's face it, I suppose, a lot of people can't get there and they're just going to have to wait because they're travelling long distances wait in a car can't go in to see their child play and then leave again Yeah, I was thinking about that um, last night one one of my friends his his two boys are sports mad and and, you know he's a a mentor in one of the clubs and and you bring the lads to the match you prepare them for the match you follow all of the Requirements according to yeah. the COVID nineteen restrictions in preparing them for the match, and then you gotta sit in the car and go away. You can't watch the flipping match. Well, that's the thing, and these are volunteers. You know, like mentors involved in teams will now not get to watch the match. They're either organising gear, training times. Like we've some fantastic COVID officers in our club. I say, you know, we've done everything by the book, and. And now it seems we're being penalised. And, and I know a lot of clubs across the county are, and the country, I suppose, um, are going to feel like this. Like, people are short... Like, the government, I think, of short memories. When, when lockdown hit hard, the GA were the first people who actually got stuck into the communities. Mm. And they started helping out. They were penny dinners. They were fundraising. A lot of clubs did some amount of fundraising. Potty Palmer had it up, a list of, of the amount of clubs of what they've done. And a lot, a lot of clubs are still working hard behind the scenes with communities. And now it's like, it's just like a kick into the teeth, to be honest about it, that we now can't go and watch the game. Like, it's, you know what it is? It's just, it doesn't make sense because I would be okay with it if it was straight across the board with absolutely everything. But the fact that you can go into a pub and, and or a restaurant and have something to eat with random people, but yet you can't go to a match where you would be spread out, really social distance, um, and can't watch a match in the open air. It just doesn't make sense. I put it like, I swear to God, if we get to a county final, there'll be like a mass, there'll be a wedding, and there'll be an open air restaurant on the side of the pitch to get supporters in because <laughs> how can you deny people? Do you know what I mean? The, and, and it's so important mentally, you know, like the difference in people going back ages ago. We, like we were just so down about it. And the fact that it was like such a lease of life that we could go back up the field and, and, even the elderly people going to watch a match, that's all they have at this stage. They can't go to the pub. 
you know, and I'm not talking, it's not all about drink or anything. I'm just talking about the social aspect. Do you know what I mean? To be able to meet people. I just think it's, I just think it's the wrong move, to be honest. I just don't think that it makes sense, you know? Mm. How, look, we can't take from the fact, Michelle, that we have a problem at the moment. We have... Oh, come here, we're not we, disregarding you know, the pandemic whatsoever. But, like, if that's the case, what about, like, closing the airports? What about the meat factory? The people in direct provision? There's so many other big things that are happening that... Like, like you can go to theme parks, you can go into the shop. If they're that bad, like they make us wear masks on the sideline. If they think masks are working indoors, we are technically are supposed to be less likely to get COVID outdoors. Well, a percentage less likely. Yes. Then make people wear masks. Like they're, they're social distancing as it is on the side of a pitch. I just can't make it out. I really can't make it out. You know, like we've kids now, we've, we've matches. Every club has matches and they're all from underage right through to adults. And it's, it's very disheartening for the kids. Like, we're not disrespecting the pandemic in any way, shape or form. Like, we, there's dressing I suppose open, one, one you know? element of the science, uh, and I did hear this um, as, a, as a possible explanation. Now, not from an Irish scientist, but from a British scientist who was saying that the problem is not watching the game. The problem isn't standing watching the match, socially distanced, wearing a mask or not, on, an, on a bright evening. The problem is the turnstile, the gate, the gatherings, of, the natural gatherings of people before and after the match. Going to the shop at half time if you have a shop open. Those are the problem. Well, I tell you now, TJ, we, I went to um, our lads' premier intermediate football match, right? And it was then, and we were playing, I can agree. And there were two separate gates for supporters alone. Like, there was the first entrance for me, and this was with cars. Now, I, I know not every club will have these facilities, but dressing rooms aren't open. They do limit, like, there are tickets. You, it's like an All-Ireland now to get into an under, to get into a junior match because it's a ticket affair. So they are limiting it. It's not that every Tom, Dick and Harry are turning up to a game, crowding in through the gates. It's not. It's actually, it's, I, I will give the J credit on Camogie, like, it's been very, very well managed. Do you know what I mean? And if you put it this way, the people that are going to the matches are going to go home to the people who would have been watching the match anyway. So what's the difference there? I know what you're saying about mingling with people, but people are, like, we're not stupid. We've managed this long. Like, the majority of people in this game are there for the benefits of it. They're not there just just because. Like, yeah. if you're willing to try and get a ticket to go to a match, you're clearly really interested and yeah. therefore you're clearly going to follow the guidelines. Okay. And to be fair, people at the gates are vigilant. They're abs- Like, if we don't resubmit our form to go training, um, our COVID officer will contact us and say, well, listen, you didn't apply, like, you didn't re- resubmit. So either you do it and you've no symptoms or you can't go training. So, like, people have put, I, I get what they're saying about the converging, but people are going to convert anywhere. They're converging in, in queues going into the shops, for God's sake. And that's in short spaces. You know what I mean? This is, I suppose you can hear, I'm just denied about it. I just yeah, yeah. think that we're reacting to acting. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Instead of acting, we're just, we should have been ahead of the game. And I wouldn't mind if it was a blanket ban across a lot of things, but it just doesn't make sense. I just feel that the, that we're being penalised for something that's nonsensical. Okay, all right. Okay, leave it there. Michelle, uh, that's Michelle Gould from St. Vincent's uh, Camogie Club. And look, again, it seems, even though the science of avoiding gatherings and turnstiles and gateways and that kind of stuff, that's, that's a concern. But it does feel like the many being punished for the sins of the few. 
Now, look, she's been criticising the government response. Michelle Gould is wife of Sinn Féin TD, Tommy Gould. Um, so she naturally might be critical of the government. But, but she's also a very active member and uh, mentor in St Vincent's Camogie Club. And that is the hat she's wearing today, or the jersey she's wearing this morning. Carla says, you're giving the Sinn Féin TD's wife loads of airtime. Loads of other camogie clubs out there. I'm from another club. She's only looking for a platform for herself. Now, we did actually, uh, Deirdre offered that caller a slot on air. And she declined. Like, that's what the show is about. You ring up giving out because we're talking to the wife of a Sinn Féin TD who happens to be an official in a camogie club. And we say, well, would you like to go on? Oh, no, 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 no. Like, it's a phone-in show. Anybody else from any other club, ga, soccer, rugby, who wants to talk about the new restrictions, we'd love to hear from you. 1850-715-996. Another Middleton listener says, it's just sport. Think of frontline people risking their lives. It is just sport. But it's... <sighs> That's what about her? Many people have had things taken from them. And and they don't feel they're being treated fairly. Noel says they can't make it compulsory to wear masks going to GA games. They need to close the restaurants, the clothes shops, and the off licenses. And these are not essential services. Stephanie's a pensioner living on her own, one daughter nearby, a son up the country. The government has got at the old people again. We can't go here, we can't go there, telling us to stay in. We've barely been outside the door. In five months. And Colin's wondering where Leah Varadkar was last night. Good point. Colin's wondering where Leah Varadkar was last night. There's supposed to have been murder at the cabinet, and he should have been at the press conference instead of sulking. This government won't last. We did hear from some of the uh, deeply embedded polcars in Leinster House that there were ructions uh, and, and there was a bit of table banging at the cabinet yesterday. Wouldn't you love to be a a fly on the wall at one of those. But Marty says, everyone needs to stop taking this personally. The government needs to step back and look at how restrictions are completely illogical in many cases. If they came out and just said two weeks strict lockdown, it would make more sense than this patchwork quilt. Well, last night Stephen Donnelly seemed to be hinting on primetime that if we don't start this way and if we don't do this, we could be facing into another lockdown. Nobody wants another lockdown. Stephen Donnelly was kind of trying to hint, and he got a very good grilling on that new primetime presenter, that young lad, Colin. He probably calls him the Cockton. Very good, very good lad. Um, He had a right go off of Stephen Donnelly last night, and Donnelly seemed to be hinting, well, we could end up in lockdown if we don't behave ourselves. We don't want to go there either. 1850-715-996. Were you down in Fountainstown? By any chance, the last couple of evenings. I, I was down last evening for a swim. It was a gorgeous evening. And the tide is well in this week. And it was lovely. And I was hoping to see the blue light. But I didn't. It was a little bit early. I was in the water about 8 o'clock. It was a small bit early. But Jolene Cronin from the Irish Redheads Convention. Uh, and of course, Cronin's famous pub in Crosshaven ended up on the BBC about it. It was an absolutely incredible experience, something that was so amazing in nature and on my doorstep. How lucky was I to see that? 
Now remember, never mind the BBC. You're on the real show now, Jolene. How are you? <laughs> you you, t- you took thing. a magnificent photograph, a super photograph of this bioluminescence, which is yeah. caused by plankton in the water. It's remarkable. What happened? Oh, thank you so much. Um, well, I suppose exactly what you say. Um, there was plankton in the water, and it was a super dark night on on Sunday. Um, and there was an abundance of this uh, algae and plankton that was there. And the result was that every wave that broke on the shore created this amazing glow that literally came wave after wave after wave. And it lasted. I was there for an hour and a half and it was just kept kept coming. It was it was amazing. And that's what I saw on Sunday night. And that's what I captured. And you've seen in those photographs. It's, it's remarkable. And it's a thing that you'd see... Uh, in other parts of the world. I, I remember seeing it in Malta. Um, you'd see a lot of it off the, off the coast in Malta, but you'd, I don't think we've ever... Have we ever seen it in, in, in fountains down before? Um, do you know what? Funnily enough, I've seen a lot of bioluminescence or phosphorescence around our coast um, many, many times, but I've never seen it to that intensity. Um, like I would have seen it kayaking or, you mm. know, even when you go for a nighttime swim and you stick your head in the water... And like you start moving your hands around, you see all these kind of glitters and sparkles in front of you. And it, it's incredible. But to actually see it like that coming up on the beach, that was pretty rare. And I think, well, it was certainly a, a, a once-off experience for me. Like, Yeah, I know that there was a big crowd. My, my sister-in-law rang us last night. Uh, quite late, and I was half tempted to get into the car and go back down to see could I see anything. She said it was like the it was like the heady days of the moving statues. There was there was dozens of people down sitting on the wall. Angela and all, Angela stayed open and all to see. Did, Angela the, stayed open. Did the, blue, did the blue light come? But it didn't seem to come last night. No, it didn't. I don't know. Like was I just incredibly lucky? But um, yeah, it hasn't been there uh, since. Sunday night. Well, you know, again, like if you're in, if you're in the water and you, you stick your head in, you you probably will see it. But no, it hasn't been lapping on the shore like that. I think it was just just a bit of a freak, really, yeah. a lucky freak. <laughs> You'll treasure that photo. I certainly will. I certainly will. It was very very special. All right, listen, take care, Jolene. Thanks ever so much. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I almost was getting into the car to go back down uh, last night. What was it? Half ten, quarter to eleven that she rang, and. Uh, the wife says, PJ's thinking about going back down. I know, tell him there's not, there's nothing here. That there's people gathered like it was the, 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 the moving statue in Ballinspittle all those years ago, but there's, there's nothing much to write home about. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. This interesting call we got uh, during the news. For all the fuss about the cases yesterday, only one of them was from Cork. Actually, you're wrong. There was none of them in Cork yesterday. Lockdown Dublin. Well, we could all be in lockdown soon enough, according to the Minister for Health on uh, primetime last night. Something else is coming up as well. This thing that the new powers announced for the Gardaí. It's all over the papers this morning. They'll have new powers to break up gatherings. They'll have new powers to go to your house and break up a party. New new powers to shut down restaurants or, or, or pubs on the spot if they find them overcrowded or the rules not being enforced. Here's the problem with that. Those new powers will require, we think, hasn't been clarified yet, will require legislation. The Attorney General is supposed to be looking at that. Uh, Mr Gallagher is to be looking at that uh, new legislation. The problem is the doll is off until the 15th of September. So this legislation would need a vote of the doll and a vote of the Shannon. 
unless the Attorney General has got some miracle plan to do it remotely or to do it without the... But this set of restrictions is supposed to run until the September the 13th. The doll doesn't meet until the 15th. So, so the guards actually, where are they going to get these powers from? Tell you something. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And the email is opinion at 96vin.ie. Let us go back to that wonderful story from Fountainstown of bioluminescence. A spectacular amount of bioluminescence. Blue lights in the water. And it, Jolene, as we heard, ended up on, on BBC. Now, if you follow weather on Twitter... There's lots of people tweeting about weather between Metair and themselves and the Carlo weather and the, our friends at UCC do it. But Barra Best is a BBC weather presenter and a lot of people follow Barra on, on Twitter. Apart from that, because of your Irish connection, Barra. And you're a Facebook friend with Jolene and, and you shared her pictures and that's kind of how she ended up on, on BBC News. Barra, good morning to you. Hi, a very good morning to you. And thanks, for, th- thanks for taking our call. This is quite a spectacular picture. I knew right away once I saw them posted on Facebook that these were the types of photographs that people absolutely go crazy for, that people love. And also people don't realise that those kind of things happen around the Irish coast. People think, and including myself, I've never seen it around uh, around Ireland, that you have to go further afield, you know, to maybe some tropical country to see something like that. So once I saw the photographs, I knew right away. She, she had posted them uh, about a minute. I'm, I'm a friend of Jolene's on Facebook, um, having been to her uh, ginger fest in Crosshaven for several years. Oh, yeah. um, and I just knew, and I said to her, uh, look, is it okay if I share these photographs? I was obviously with credit to yourself. Uh, and she said, yes. So we we put them on social media. Uh, the BBC News Online team said, those are great photographs. Can we have an article? I said, yeah. So we did an interview with uh, with Jolene. We also did an interview with the Atlantic kayaking guys down there in Cork who have been doing nighttime kayaking yeah. for 30 years, going out to look at this kind of thing. And we stuck it up online and we waited for the reaction. And what I can tell you is we had... Uh, request yesterday from Russia, from our colleagues in BBC Russia, to share the photographs and to share the story. And this morning, our colleagues, our Spanish colleagues in BBC Mundo, uh, who cover South America, also have asked to republish the photographs with the credit to Jolene as well. So I think you can sort of say it's gone global. It's gone viral. Um, It's amazing. Well, you've been coming to Cork, like you said, since you came to the Redhead Festival. So you'll be familiar, I take it, with the little beach where it happened, which is much beloved of ours, Fountainstown. Well, you know what? I haven't been to that actually. Have you not? But I haven't. I've been all around it. <laughs> you should. <laughs> well, you know what? I want to now um, after seeing that. But no, my luck, I'll, get, I'll go down there and not see it and not see a thing. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we go down almost every year, if not every two years, to, to, to Cork and the surrounding areas. It's a, it's a family favourite. Um, you know, it's just great to be able to show it. And you know what? Cork people are very proud. I know that. And so I think that's why it, it's helped... Uh, Get the photographs shared around the world. People, people in Cork love it, and now everybody yeah. around the world get to love their little part of the world as well. A little birdie tells me as well that you have a connection to uh, Cork that goes back beyond your own connection. Your mom ended up down here from the north, did she? Yeah, yes, that's right. Uh, during the outbreaks of the Troubles uh, back in the, uh, I think in the seventies, when it really got a little bit bad, uh, she and uh, uh, her brothers and sisters and what went to Dundalk, where they were met by the the Irish Army, who then evacuated them 
to Yall, um, and so they stayed. Um, uh, I think she told me it was a school at the time uh, in Yall. Um, mm. uh, she spent the summer there. They were essentially evacuated down there to get yeah. to escape. I know. I know their the fine beach that we love so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you been there? So, um, you know what? I haven't because I've been planning to go with my mum. Um, right. She wants to go back down to, to see where it was that she stayed uh, those years ago. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what, Barra? Delighted to talk to you. I've been one of these people following you on Twitter for your your predictions and and your various weather comments for quite some time. Delighted to finally get a chance to talk to you. Can I ask you about the one that has us all worried down here? And that's Emma, which is due to hit us hard about one or two o'clock in the morning. Ellen, I beg your pardon, Storm Ellen. What are you seeing? Well, what I would say, if I, if I were you guys, because I know a lot of people are staycationing at the moment around the coasts and that kind of thing, and people are tracking up mountains. I think uh, I spoke to emergency services yesterday. I think the key message is avoid the mountains. Um, if you want to go out for a walk, do it in low-level areas. They're going to be very strong winds. You have to remember, when you're in high ground, everything is amplified. So the winds will be stronger, the rain will be heavier, and it'll be colder. So everything is going against you. And also, with the very strong winds along the coast, uh, coinciding with high tides, you're talking massive waves in some places as well. And I know a lot of people do get out there to get the photographs on social media of the huge waves. I think the key message is don't be taking risks because it looks as though the southwest and the, west, the south coast is going to bear the brunt of this storm. And we're talking gusts in excess of 50 to 60 miles an hour, more than 80 kilometer an hour winds. So, you know, if you've got the trampolines out in the garden, if you've got loose furniture, you've got hanging baskets, bring them in just for the if night. You're, if you're spending the summer in a caravan in y'all... Yeah, um, it's 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 going to be probably quite a bumpy night. I I, I would I'd be guessing with the with the severe strengths of winds. I mean, an amber uh, status orange warning has been issued. Um, so it's yeah, it, it'll be a bumpy night if you're in a caravan, and certainly if you're in a tent. All right, okay, Barra, good to talk to you. Thanks very much, and uh, first time on the opinion line, and hopefully won't be the last. That's Barra Best from the BBC Weather Department. That picture just has gone global of the fantastic sight down at Fountainstown on on Sunday night. 1850-715-996. John is on the phone. He says, I'm sorry, I'm wrong about the legislation being needed. If legislation needs to be brought in under an emergency provision, the president can do it by the stroke of a pen. Good point, John. Good point. I, 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 you're correct, of course. I just wonder, would they, would they go to that extent? Would they go to that extent? I don't think, I think, dear to the she doesn't think that it's to do with every kind of legislation. I think it would uh, involve some kind of national emergency or, or me, Michael D could ask the Dáil to reconvene. Yeah, it's only under the Emergency Powers Act that he can do that. So he can't, he couldn't, he couldn't give the Gardaí power to raid pubs under a stroke of a pen. But he, what he could do, what he could do is tell me Hall to recall the Dáil. Thanks, D. She's whispering me here, right on my screen here. Um, so, technically, this legislation that they want to bring in to give the Gardaí the extra powers to enforce the new restrictions they brought in last evening, the doll doesn't sit until the 15th of September. So, are they spoofing? Or do they not know what they're doing? 1850 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette, now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie 
96FM. A mother of three whose bitter ex-boyfriend gave out her phone number as part of a Chewbacca roar contest prank. He puts her phone number on posters all across the town and says, to win a hundred quid, ring this number and do your best impression of Chewbacca <laughs> from Star Wars. <laughs> so have a listen. Well, I'm getting phone calls at really Casey and Ross in the morning. Courts 96 FM. This is Courts Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Courts 96 FM. Kevin says that he has candles at the ready, he has his tablets charged, and series of Sons of Anarchy already downloaded, ready for the arrival of Storm Ellen tonight. I think a lot of people will be battening down the hatches. If you're looking for something to watch tonight, can I recommend something? Now, this is gruesome. It is gory. It's not for the faint-hearted, but I watched it the other night on Now TV, and it's brilliant. Uh, Prodigal Son. It's a new kind of a serial killer type profiler type thing. It's absolutely and utterly daft but it's brilliant. You'll enjoy that prodigal song. Can I recommend a Facebook page to you as well? I, I This came up on my timeline a couple of days ago and it's got to be the funniest Facebook page I've seen in a very long time and it's called The Same Guys Dancing to a Different Song Every Day. Trust me. It's a big long, it's a big long name. The Same Guys Dancing to a Different Song Every day. It's one of the funniest things I have ever seen. I mean, and, and always watch for where the big guy comes in from stage right. It's, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they get the beat to match. It's just brilliant. It'll brighten up the darkest evening, I tell you now. 1850 Talking yesterday about homeschooling. And we learned that Yes, you can. You can just take your child out of school, inform the school you're doing it, and start teaching them at home to the best of your own ability. You don't need to be a teacher. You do need to inform Tusla that you're doing this. They have a special department to deal with the likes of this. But you have to do it. You have to tell them. But you can do it. You have a constitutional right to be the first and primary educator of your child. Now, that was an answer that we sought after a conversation I had with Rachel, uh, who was in two minds, I think, yesterday morning, about what she'd do with eight-and-a-half-year-old Lolly, who's due to go back to school in a couple of weeks' time. Decision made, I think, Rachel. Good morning. Hi, love. It is it, because of the brief last night, you know. I just thought to myself, OK, well, if you can't, if you can't have more than six people in your home but you can put your child into an environment of hundreds of children. It doesn't make sense. So the whole thing now to me is farcical and I think people just need to go with their gut. They need to make decisions that they're happy with for their families. So I thought, okay, that's it now. I'm not arsing around anymore. I'm not going to put her into school to take her out to school. I'm not going to potentially have her in an isolation room and that the stress to cause, especially to her because she's under 12, mm. she wouldn't understand it. So I got in touch with Tulsa. I didn't sleep a wink last night. I got in touch with Tulsa this morning who were brilliant, absolutely 
Brilliant. So he what was, did you do? You oh, rang you rang your local I rang office. Them. I rang the local office and I said, this is the situation. Um, she said, is it just because of COVID or do you want to homeschool? I said, I have no idea. I said, I have no idea what's going on at the moment. I just know that my child is not going back into the school environment. I'm going to homeschool her at home for a year, 18 months however long it takes for this thing to be organized or sorted out. So she said, fine. Now, there was a few key elements there. Because, uh, because she doesn't have any underlying condition, and even if, she, even if she was an asthmatic, that wouldn't be classed as an underlying condition, because, or a serious underlying condition, because um, a lot of children in Cork have asthma and is well under control. So there is no funding from the government at all. There would be funding for the gov- from the government if, or from the DES if she had an underlying condition that was serious. Um, there's also a difference between being in a public school and a private school. Mm. So Lolly is in a private school. So um, again, that's not really recognised as an educational school, if you know what I mean. It's the because it, the government is not recognised by the government in some way. Mm. So. So what I can do, it's extremely easy. All I have to do is source the teacher. Now, if she's primary level, primary level I could teach her myself. It's just that, as you know, I run two companies. It's not, it's not going to happen. Mm. So, um, but I can keep an eye on it, and I have a teaching background, so it does help. And all of us have a teaching background from the summer. So, look, we've all gotten our feet wet in it. So, so what, I, what I need to do to source the teacher is I have to find anybody who has a degree potentially can get registered as a teacher. So I have to go to the Teacher Council of Ireland and I have to look for a registered teacher. But instead of doing that, and what this lady said to me in Tulsa, and it made a lot of sense, is I have an extremely good relationship with Lolly's school. I went to the school, so I have an extremely good relationship. So, you know, I will just email the school, let them know that because, I'm, because I will use my underlying condition, Mm. which is asthma, which really isn't an underlying condition for uh, the government. They don't recognize it. Um, but I will just say I am not comfortable sending my child into the school environment, and I will list why. And then I will ask the school, are there any teachers within the school who are not comfortable coming back and who are not coming back to teach who would like to homeschool Lolly? Mm. So the first port of call is to call your school and maintain that good relationship with your school um, and make sure it's in writing so you don't lose the place in the school. Yeah, that would be a concern because yes. when, when everything is okay, as we sincerely hope and believe it will be one day soon, Absolutely. you want to send her back. Yes, and, and the lady in Tulsa made that very clear. She said, do maintain that relationship and be transparent with your school. Because I suppose all of us, you know, the school bodies, um, the, the, the teachers, the principals, the parents, we're, you know, we're all, we're all trying to do what's best for the child and best for the family. So there's, you know, there's no reason why we can't all work together and why people's um, fears can't be recognized and you know, different things put in place. Um, there's also a lot of websites that they can go to. The DES um, has, a web, has a section on it called School Tools. So if you go to the DES website, go to School Tools, and you'll get more information. And then there's also two sites. One is rollercoaster.ie oh, yeah. and schooldays.ie. And those two sites will give you more information. I suppose the most important thing that I want to stress here is that this is easy peasy, one, two, three, easy. It's not forever. Yeah. You know, for me, it's not forever. But I you want have to do my it the right way. School. You have to do it the right way, but there's no wrong way from what I can tell. You yeah. don't have to sign any papers. You yeah, don't but have if, to if do you that. hadn't notified Tusla, 
then if she hadn't turned up for 20 days, the school will notify them. You see, now, that is... Because I said, do I have to sign anything or do I have to do anything? And I don't really have to do anything like that because it's a different time because a lot of people are choosing the option that I'm choosing for Lolly because of COVID, not because we want to homeschool. I want Lolly in a school. Mm. I love her school. I think her school is brilliant. Um, and if anything, their Lolly school has been fantastic in that they sourced extra space like two, three months ago. They were fantastic. Um, you know I'm talking about Scover um, here in Cork, which is, they're on the ball. But Most you're not just are. happy about the idea that she'd be going in and then, like you said yesterday, you have to refer out again two weeks later yeah. when there's an outbreak. Or, or she goes into an isolation room and she doesn't know what in God's name is going on. And she, my little one can be sometimes a little worrywart, you know. If she gets a cut, she, she kind of, you know, Mommy, am I okay? And I go, of course you're fine, it's just a little cut. But if she's put into an isolation room and all of a sudden people are putting on goggles and all this sort of stuff, she won't know at eight and a half. Um, before 12, they can't make sense of stuff like that. Well, I couldn't make sense of stuff like that. So I'm not willing to have that embedded in her brain for the rest of her life, gotcha. that fear. So I just have to take action. And it's terrifying. So, I, so, you know, so terrifying. your advice to anybody who's thinking about doing that is make a phone call to us and they'll talk you through it. Do it. I know it's not what we expected to be doing. But if you are concerned, and there's a lot of people on my Facebook page yeah. today who are very concerned because there are so many underlying conditions at home, just do it. Just call Tulsa. The lady I spoke to was so lovely. I'm going to call her back now because she had loads of information for okay. me. Yeah. Just Dan was on the phone and he said, look, employing a teacher to provide education in, in, in your home, that's not home educating your child. That's like different. That's a different thing entirely. A lot of people won't be able to afford to hire a teacher. And if you're in a, nat- if you're in a public school, you might get funding for it. Privately, I won't get any funding for it. If you're in a public school, um, you will have to go through the Tulsa and you will more than likely get some funding for it. And it might be a little bit different. Or you can just do it yourself. Or you can just do it yourself. I mean, primary level, you know, it's just difficult. You know, you've got mums and dads, they're working from home. We've been told now to stay at home working for longer. And they could have, I only have one. But what if you have three and they're all different ages? You also have to think of the mental health of the parent. But it, but it can be done, that's to sum up, it, it can, can be, be done, done and you've made your decision and you're doing it. And there's, there's one other point I want to stress Go that ahead. she stressed to me, is if you are homeschooling and if you're bringing somebody into that environment to teach, you still have to maintain all of those rules, the social distancing, the wearing of the mask, all of that. The room has to be big enough to facilitate it. So a lot of thought has to go into that for the person who is coming into your home. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. But the first call, if you want to do it, thanks, okay. Rachel. First call, and you know what we might do? We might talk a couple of weeks into it and see how it's all going. Exactly, because there's a lot of planning. As you said yesterday, you know, you can't do this willy-nilly and just let them sit in front of the television eating ice lollies at 12 in the afternoon or 12 midday. You have to schedule this uh, to an inch of its life so that everything, they have to have a routine. Children need a routine. You have to schedule it properly and make sure there's plenty of activities. You know, education has to change. Mm. It's, we have to get creative. There's beautiful programs like National Geographic where they learn loads. There's wonderful museums that you can go to. You know, you just, you know, social mm, distancing. But they still have to do their spellings and their reading yes, and the sums do. and, and their tables. And all of that has to be done. Okay. All right. Good, yeah. We'll talk again, I've no doubt, Rachel Sarah Murphy, uh, who has made the decision yesterday. Thanks, Rachel. Yesterday, she was in two minds. Today, she's very much of a single mind.
She is taking her daughter Lolly out of school for the foreseeable. She rang Tusla. They told her what to do. She's contacting the school. She wants to hire someone to to do that in, in her home. And, and that's fine. She's able to do that. Not everybody will be able to do that. But you can just do it yourself too. First call needs to be uh, to Tusla. And of course, people are terrified when they hear Tusla. It's amazing the number of people in Cork who call it Tulsa. Tulsa, Tulsa is, a, is, a, is a city in the United States of America. Tusla is, is the... But anyway, it's amazing the number of people who are terrified of the prospect of calling Tusla. But there's a lot that goes on in Tusla. Uh, so they'll help you to do this if you need to call them. 1850 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. Due to COVID-19, the big summer concerts are all off. But the biggest stars will still play this summer. One, two, three. The Backgarden Festival. It's a new online station that plays non-stop festival hits from the ultimate superstar lineup. Round the clock every day. The Backgarden Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialist in sound this summer. Get all the lowdown and listen live on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. This is Court's Gold. 6FM. Hi, P- Hi PJ. Homeschooling is very common in England and America. No, she doesn't have to sign anything because it's a parent's right to educate your child under the Constitution. That's from Jerry. And she mentioned asthma, Rachel did, uh, as not being recognised formally as an underlying condition in relation to COVID, uh, which is strange because it's, it's recognised in the UK and in France and in Germany and in the United States. And I wonder why Ireland doesn't. Anyway, and we have such a high number of asthmatics in this country. Moving on, staying with COVID-19 though, and ever since the start of the pandemic, one thing that we have noticed is that, and again, it's worth saying and worth stressing, that for most of us, for the vast, vast majority of us, COVID will be a relatively mild illness. You'll be sick, sick as a parrot, for five to eight, maybe ten days, and then you will get better and you will be back to normal within two to three weeks, sometimes even faster. Some people don't get any symptoms at all at all, maybe just a cough, maybe just a temperature. They don't feel any of the the bad illness. But for other people, it lasts and it lasts and it lasts and it seems to do permanent damage or at least long-term damage to various parts of of the system. And it's the unpredictability of this that has baffled doctors and scientists since the start. How is it that you may get it, not show any symptoms except a cough and a bit of a temperature? It could be a bit sickish for a few days. Then your next door neighbour gets it and they're flat on the back for two weeks, but then they're up and back and okay. And then you know someone who got it in March and they're still sick and they're still not well and and they still can't do the things that they used to be able to do. They're calling it now long COVID and it's become a, an international term for people who have either recovered fully and have are recovered with lasting effects or have not fully recovered at all. Let's talk to Leslie McNiven because you're one of those people, Leslie. Good morning. Good morning, Virgil. 
Uh, PJ Fergal was lighting you up there. It's 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 PJ now. Um, oh hi PJ. Hi. Um, so you, when did you get, or when were you diagnosed with um, COVID nineteen? Back in March, um, I started getting symptoms exactly two days before we locked down here in the UK. Um, and at first, I was kind of like, mm, it just feels like a mild kind of temperature and I, I felt quite flushed in my face and um, but because at that point people were starting to say oh, oh it's coming um, I thought right we better lock down so I said to my husband sorry he's started working from home the kids had to stay off school um, and I had to stay in uh, a room by myself mm-hmm. and keep my germs to myself so that was the start of it and I think I heard you say in the introduction there that it normally lasts sort of eight to ten days so I was I was tired I was um, not really up for doing anything very much. I wasn't really um, active. I was just kind of watching the news programmes to find out about this thing that I thought I might have. Yeah. Um, but by day 10, I started to feel worse. And that that was quite alarming because um, that was the point where you're meant to start to feel better. Yeah. So I... I I suppose I'm fortunate in the sense that um, I had gone to the fever as a teenager and I had a lot of post-viral fatigue after that and it took me indeed a number of years to fully recover from that. But it's really interesting because as you say, the person that I contracted glandular fever from um, was off work for a couple of weeks. Um, I was bedridden for a couple of weeks and sort of still recovering for a couple of years. So there's something that I learned from that experience um, which was to rest and to just really be kind to my body and yeah. just let it focus on getting better. I've spoken to some people throughout the course of the pandemic, Leslie, who've said all my body was telling me to do was lie down and sleep. Yes. I mean, I am much better today, but I am still speaking to you on the phone today from my bed, sitting up, but with my legs up, because um, that's the kind of ethos. If you can sit down rather than stand up <clears throat> or even better if you can lie down rather than sit down at points of the day it just conserves energy so and hang on you're still not right I'm a lot better <clears throat> excuse me as I say by resting by being careful of what I was eating by drinking plenty um, and by the fact that I'm freelance so I didn't have a job that I was pressured to go back to I could just give myself time off to, to get better um, I did get a lot better <clears throat> about 10 days ago uh, 20 weeks after starting to feel ill, I had quite a significant relapse because I'd just been really busy trying to kind of do more things because my kids were going back to school. There was a few other things going on with me, the work I was doing and, and some of the, the campaigning that we're doing. Um, I just happened to do a bit too much and I've, I've been less than uh, uh, less energetic and I had, right. my legs have been much more weak than I have had for weeks and weeks and weeks. So this is the problem, as you said. It's it's variable, it's not linear, it's not about, oh, I'm better, I can go back to work. Um, oftentimes, particularly I think when people are working from home, you can think, oh, I'm well enough to, to get back to work now. Um, as soon as you think you could possibly be well enough, you go back to work and then it's like you're hit over the head with a hammer again and you're just exhausted and you know, you've been run over by a bus so you have to kind of take that to your bed again. And that's quite difficult to know then how to resume normal life. So we've been very lucky um, in that the support groups have quickly formed online. Um, because yeah, many when you reached people, out yeah. online and said, hang on a second, I'm, it's, it's months now and I'm, I'm still not back to normal, were you surprised by the response? 
Um, I think everyone is astonished when they join the group because I joined about April, May. Um, I had a friend who got COVID roughly the same time as me. We think we may have got it one of us from, from the other or from the same source. Um, and she put me onto it. And when you go in and you see all these people in the stories, it is quite surprising. I, probably less so for me because I've been involved in <clears throat> patient advocacy for people with ME. And again, it's a very hidden illness. Yeah. But now we have 17,500 people on a Facebook group called Long COVID Support. And even up to a few weeks ago, there were people going, wow, I honestly thought I was the only person feeling like this. Um, so which is quite you know, refreshing, but also terrifying that you've been sitting there yeah. for months. And when you talk in, to in your doctor and say, doctor, I'm still not right, what, what does your doctor say? I'm very lucky that I have got a very good relationship with my GP. Um, and she is the kind of person who realises that with some things it's a combination of self-management and medication and so she always talks to me about what I'm doing to help myself and what she might be able to do to help me but it's not about reaching from the, for the prescription pad as soon as you walk in the door. Mm. I think medicine has, and, and health has evolved and if you think about how novel this and how new this virus is we're all trying to learn about it mm. and in one way patients are actually at the forefront of learning because we're actually physically experiencing it. So sharing with other patients is a huge bit of the jigsaw puzzle, but equally trying to spread the word and explain to professionals exactly what's happening with us in a way that they can then feed that into their guidelines and, and into their protocols. But at the moment, doctors are actually quite unnerved. You know, when people turn up with these vast array of different symptoms that are not just about one bodily system. It's not yeah. just about... This ain't just the lungs and the throat and the nose. This can take over your whole body. Exactly. I mean, I think I read something about there's no part of your body that COVID can't touch. And it's that kind of unpredictability that's quite um, difficult for doctors. Because yeah. I think we probably feel quite um, self-conscious about the fact that there's no protocols, there's no guidelines, there's no kind of research to fall back on. So the lovely thing is that you know we are getting a lot of support from a lot of doctors because actually a lot of doctors are getting this. You, you, you mentioned, yeah, the doctors themselves have got it. You, you mentioned that you uh, are an advocate for people or have been an advocate for people uh, with ME. And ME, as we know, that was that condition that befell many unfortunate people who had what they thought was a simple virus, like maybe even a, a common cold or a slightly worse than a common cold. And then they had this perpetual sense of exhaustion and no energy and barely able to get out of the bed exactly. like sounds like it it sounds like your condition is almost uh, is almost mirroring that to an extent i think there's a really important distinction here um we had a massive outpouring of support from the ME and CFS community saying, look at what we've learned, don't make mistakes. And the biggest part of that is about exercising. And there's something called post-exercise malaise that's a feature of ME and CFS, which means if you do exceed your capabilities, you don't know about it at the time, but the next day you're flattened. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's about being able to be extra cautious until you've got the baseline level of how much you can cope with. And then ever so slightly increasing that. Um, you like know, if you I overdo could, it, Leslie, you're wiped yeah. for a whole day, is it? Um, well, I'll give you an example. I 
go to the shops and push a trolley and get some shopping and I come home and I'll have a sit down before I put it away because I just need to have a break <laughs> and sometimes that break can be a couple of hours and I have to run through and put things in the freezer um, but the point is it's just about this pacing um, and consciously not running when you can walk because again yeah. when I had ME I got used to going through doors backwards so I didn't use my arms and I could just use my body weight to push a door open it's really silly things like that that you right. just adapt that you become part of how you manage your daily life so for some people they are so you know they can't leave the house as I say I've recuperated to the point where I can go back and you know get some shopping and feed yeah. the family do, 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 and do, you, do you worry at all that you may not get back to your original state of health um, I don't because I got ill and I got better before and obviously I'm a lot older now um, but I still think I, I think it's interesting you use the word normal I think in your introduction I don't think there's whatever, anyone is ever going to get back to normal but it's about looking to make an improvement on where you are just now and I think COVID has taught us to be grateful for the things we can do well, and not to be so the, the phone is start- Yeah, the phone is starting to ring Leslie um, oh. and, and yes, and, and we've had people calling us. One caller has five Brilliant. friends, all of whom are really struggling. Could you give us the name of the support group Facebook page again? Absolutely. So it's Long COVID Support Group um, on Facebook. Okay. There's also a longcovid.org, which is yeah. a website that's been set up, which has got lots of useful links. We are um, working with the UK Sepsis Trust because they have experience with helping people rehabilitate after a significant infection. Um, as you know, sepsis can be a kind of multi-organ failure type yes. um, situation. So they have lots of great advice, which they have adapted specifically for people with long COVID. And we recently made some videos with them talking about different symptoms because there are some weird and wonderful symptoms. Like my hair started falling out about two, two months ago when I was feeling much better and I'm thinking, what on earth? And then realised through the support group, loads of people are experiencing this after four months from infection. So it's things like that where it just kind of helps to contextualise when something's happening, that this is a normal or an unexpected thing and it's not something different. It's probably part of the the COVID process. Um, If someone feels themselves, anyone listening to the programme this morning feels that, hang on, this COVID is taking longer than it should to to shake off, where would you advise them to start? I would definitely start with the support group because you will get lots of information which will help you work out if this rings true for you. And again, there's different clusters of of symptoms or palettes of symptoms. And some people are more respiratory, like for shortness of breath and pain in the chest. Others, it's more fatigue. Others have got heart issues. So there's lots of ways you can kind of just delve into the group and see what people are experiencing. But absolutely, the next step has to be to speak to your GP um, and make sure that they are aware and they can um, signpost you to any hubs that exist to support people. We're starting. We're working with a lot of medical people, and um, we're working with researchers. We're trying to kind of bridge the gap between the lived experience and, and the, the medical experience, um, and that's working very well. And we're starting to get rehab being established for really? COVID, COVID patients, which again is about managing within perhaps quite strict limits for people with fatigue, but for those for whom it's a pulmonary issue, a lung issue, there might be a different rehab that's already available that you you could be utilising. And the final thing is we really want each patient to be given the opportunity for testing because there's so many things, and you said, is ME the same as COVID? Well, I think ME and CSS 
there's an element of long COVID sufferers that might fall into that category, but equally there are many other categories that they might fall into. So we can't automatically think, do what you did for ME and you will get better, because my other friend who got ill has very different symptoms to me. She did what I did and she's not better yet. She's still struggling to get out of the house and has been using a wheelchair. So it's very much the case that we need to rule out things that we can rule out and then work with whatever is left. Um, So the research is multi, multifaceted and into lots of different routes into the long COVID journey. So we're lucky we have the numbers we have. It won't be like any where, you know, there's a big kind of media coverage of this and then it goes quite quiet and people tend to get a bit forgotten about. Mm. Long COVID is short spotlighting the fact there's lots of people with longer term illness who need to get a bit of support because they can get better, but not always by themselves. Okay, listen, a pleasure to talk to you and I wish you well in your continuing recovery. It's Leslie McNiven uh, from Scotland, uh, who is a long COVID sufferer and we're getting calls from people saying, hang on a second, I had it months ago and I'm still not right. First place you can go to take a look is longcovid.org. That will be www.longcovid.org. And there's also a Facebook page with a huge support group there. We mentioned the other long-term effects of it too. And let's not forget the, the, the life insurance thing. If you go looking for a mortgage, you'll find it very hard to get life insurance. Now, I have never heard of this individual, but I will look it up. Uh, hi, PJ, says this message. Is it a call? Please look up a French physician by the name of Didier Raoult. Raoult? R-A-O-U-I-L-T. Raoul, and have a read of what this man has to say about COVID-19. There was a good article in the New York Times about him. That's from Tig. Uh, it's He's not a member of the anti-tinfoil hat brigade, though. Uh, according to the Executive Research Desk, thank you, Fergal, uh, he's the guy that first ID'd it in France, identified it in France. He, he does use uh, hydroxychloroquine, but... Uh, that's respectable in France. So the, some con- the, the, the attitude to hydroxychloroquine around the world differs from country to country. It's considered to be okay in France. Now, Nicholas, um, our other Sinead O'Leary was back on. Remember, she was on earlier with me this morning uh, talking about her, her friend, Nicholas Sweeney, and about herself and the attack on them by Peter Whelan and the change required in the legislation and, and how she feels hard done by and others like her feel hard done by because they can't get the legislation enacted that should have been enacted a year or so ago. Uh, Sinead, there was a call came in following that uh, conversation and I purport to read the comment again, if we can pull it to the top, lads, and then read uh, the statement that Sinead has issued back to us in reply. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying, done within an hour. Selfservicelaundry.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, big, big. 
Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Blackpool Shopping District. Thanking you for keeping local business going. Pure Cork. Pure local. Pure Blackpool. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. So earlier on, I was talking to uh, Sinead O'Leary uh, about her campaign to get the legislation enacted that is sitting on the desk of the Minister for Justice that would prevent people like Peter Whelan from applying for parole for at least another number of years. I also spoke to um, to Maria, uh, uh, whose daughter Alicia was stabbed to death by a man called John Geary. And she too wants this legislation um, to be pulled through as quickly as is humanly possible. Caller was on the phone at the time and said, with all due respect to Sinead and what has happened to her, could it not be the case that this guy has served his crime, or served his time rather, for the crime against her? Is it the fact that the minister is going, well, he served his time for what he did to you, his crime against somebody else is up to her family to pursue? Is she flogging a dead horse? Caller believes, by the way, that life should be life and the loophole shouldn't exist. So Sinead did did contact me back. And what have I done? Like a complete idiot. I've put it here. It's over here. She said, back by email, she said, Thank you, as always, for the opportunity to speak. If you don't mind, I want to respond to one of the comments you received. I'd like to state that the Sweeneys are, in fact, fighting this. They have been fighting since 2002. I have every right to advocate for my beautiful and talented friend, Nicola, who is not here to do so for herself. I'm aghast at the suggestion that I perhaps shouldn't be speaking out. This situation not one I asked for. I was put in this position by the Department of Justice, who put all victims' families in a state of limbo with regards to the Parole Act. I'd also like to reiterate I was failed by the same department and that I was not informed that the sentence Peter Whelan was serving for my attempted murder had been reduced. Nor was I informed of day releases. I have every right to address these failings. Finally, with regards to me accepting that Whelan has served his time, his actions have shown time and time again that he has no accountability for his actions. Furthermore, he is given parole hearings and day releases before he's legally entitled. This is something that I will continue to highlight. And that is from... Sinead O'Leary. In response to that comment we had in earlier on. Thanks for that, Sinead. Welcome always on the opinion line. Uh, there's a couple more responses with regard to school. I'll get them tomorrow. Someone saying that Rachel is very lucky to be able to afford to homeschool. I only wish I could do the same. My son is 11, going into sixth class. I have an autoimmune disease, so would come under the vulnerable category. I don't want to send my son to school, and I unfortunately can't homeschool for personal reasons. What are parents who are vulnerable supposed to do? Keep our kids at home and see them go uneducated or send them to school and risk corona? The anxiety I have after watching Michal Martin yesterday announcing new guidelines, I can't believe it. How am I going to get over the fear I have sending my son back to school? 
Thank you. From Angela. Let me leave you today with a note from the entertainment industry. Slightly sad note. A man passed away yesterday very suddenly. Uh, his name was Ben Cross. He was an actor. He died at the age of 72. If you want a movie to watch to make you feel good and maybe forget all the negativity of coronavirus and all that, dig out Chariots of Fire. I think it's on Netflix. Uh, but Ben Cross was the star of Chariots of Fire. And he died yesterday at the age of 72. He was also in Star Trek, one of the Star Trek movies. But we'll remember him for Chariots of Fire and the magnificent piece of music that went along with it. That's it. Thanks, Deirdre. Thanks, Fergal. See you tomorrow. Just half time. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877 351 0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.